0: Welcome to the Pockets of Knowledge podcast, where we share illuminating stories and knowledge to inform, educate, inspire, and empower you in the areas of business, health, finance, philanthropy, art, and entrepreneurship, designed to help you achieve your goals. And now here is your host, Desiree Stanley. Welcome, everyone, to the Pockets of Knowledge podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Stanley. And with me today is Nora Dunn. Welcome, Nora. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Desiree. It's a pleasure to be here. Nora and I um, got to meet recently at an event in Miami. And Nora uh, was so kind to share what she does with me. And I mean, I think I probably asked her about a dozen questions. And really, that's why I wanted to bring her on the show, because she has so much knowledge about traveling and extended traveling. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. She is kind of uh, an original OG digital nomad, and she's going to share a little bit about that as well. So let's get right to it, Nora, and jump right in. Did you always know that you wanted to travel?
1: Not only did I always know that I wanted to travel but I really in a sense always did travel so I grew up in Toronto Canada and my grandparents on my mom's side or are uh, or were American and they lived in just outside of Albany New York so I spent my summers in the countryside with them and I always took Train every year to and from their place, so that gave me this experience of being able to travel from a very very young age, and sometimes we would go to Cape Cod or you know take little excursions from there. So, right from childhood, I was familiar with the act of crossing borders and train travel, which would later play a huge role in my lifestyle. But then I was about probably nine years old, and uh, I remember very distinctly watching a documentary about Europe and. And I'm looking at this screen and I do not recognize anything. Like, I don't understand how the people are dressed. I don't understand the language they're speaking. The architecture is different from anything I've ever seen. Like, everything was different. And my nine-year-old self immediately formulated this thought that would actually form a, become a lifelong dream. And that thought, that question that I, I was just always in my mind was, how do the children play? So I was just really fascinated with understanding because I I knew the children were the same as me, but they were also very different and they were surrounded by all these different things. So as I grew up, that dream also grew up with me. And uh, I mean, I obviously still like to know how the children play, but I also want to know how the adults play and what do they talk about around the dinner table and how do people shop and eat and cook? And what are the going concerns uh, for people? How do they live their daily lives? Because it is so different everywhere we go. So that really formed the basis for what would eventually become a full-time travel lifestyle that I've actually been doing now for 17 years.
0: Gosh, that's fantastic. I love that your nine-year-old self thinking, how did the other kids play? And that's just so pure. I love it. It's adorable. And then sharing <laughs> sharing that uh, with us about the, the train travel. And I know kind of what you're going to share, but we won't get into that yet. But let's talk a little bit about how, I mean, we all know like how to budget for just say a regular vacation, like if we're going to take a weekend trip, or maybe we get a week vacation somewhere, we kind of all know how to budget for that. But if you're talking about long-term travel, how do you budget for something like that?
1: It's an excellent question. And it was one that it was full of surprises for me. Uh, I was actually prior to selling everything that I owned to travel, I was a financial planner. So I love digging into the numbers bids. Uh, And when I sold everything to travel full-time, I figured that this was going to be an expensive endeavor. Uh, I, I didn't honestly know how long it would last or whether I just had to get something out of my system. So I, I was really open to whatever uh, might happen. So obviously I had some money in savings, but then also when I sold my financial planning practice, I had an income, a small income that was coming in for the first couple of years. So the first thing that I did was I actually gave myself this challenge. So the, the, the income that I was making was about $2,000 a month. So I challenged myself to see if I could could live on $2000 a month while traveling the world full time. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to be possible, of course. Yeah, I mean, travel is expensive, isn't it? I mean, if we take the amount of money that we would budget for and spend on a week-long vacation and we extrapolate that over 52 weeks a year, we're all going broke. So, I was surprised and shocked and amazed and delighted to discover that the cost to travel full time was actually significantly less than I ever paid to live in one place. Now, there are a few caveats in there in that there were a few, obviously, because i given myself this kind of fun assignment to see if it was possible to live on $2,000 a month. Uh, I was obviously making some decisions that involved more budget things. However, before you get some vision of me staying in dirty dorms and, you know, or cardboard shacks on the side of the road, in fact, actually the ways that I discovered to save money while traveling also found me in these m- amazing culturally immersive experiences and staying in some of the most amazing places in the world. Like I'm staying in mansions, but here's the deal. It was free. So I actually managed to get my accommodation for free uh, in I say in a variety of different ways. I literally wrote the book on it, but that's another matter. But I saved in my first 10 years of full-time travel, I saved over $100,000 getting my accommodation for free. And I'm staying in these amazing places around the world and volunteering. I was living on boats in the Caribbean, like I did these amazing experiences. The other thing too, that uh, that will definitely dramatically reduce your cost of long-term travel is the pace of travel that you take. So again, if we think of that week-long vacation, you're moving from place to place, you're doing touristy activities every single day. So inherently, you're eating restaurants all the time. So inherently, you're going to spend more money. However, when travel becomes a lifestyle and when you're also working online, working remotely uh, to along the way, everything changes. Your pace of travel changes. The sorts of places that you stay in change. Uh, you usually have a kitchen, so you're not eating all your meals in restaurants. You stay longer in a place, which inherently saves you a lot of money and much more. But to get really specifically and granularly to your question of how do you budget for travel as a lifestyle, unfortunately, I wish I could give you a a spreadsheet or a template that you can just fill in your numbers. However, travel as a lifestyle is so different for everybody it depends on you it depends on the sort of places you like to visit and what those costs of living are and how those currencies exchange against your home country Uh, it depends on the sort of activities you like to do if you like scuba diving and skydiving that's inherently going to cost a lot more than oh I don't know playing Parcheesi Uh, (laughs) so you're definitely it's all about the personal choices everything and, and i feel like this is almost like a metaphor for life and and budgeting in general is really it boils down to the personal choices that you make the personal preferences that you have the priorities you decide upon and then how you choose to execute that i just feel like when you do it in the in the name and in the scope of long-term travel it just becomes a lot more vibrant uh in terms of the decisions that you're making
0: yeah valid point for sure our choices do dictate our lives right so if you're you're choosing activities that are more expensive. That's going to take a, um, a toll on the budget versus hiking. But Parcheesi is another one. That's awesome. <laughs> I haven't played Parcheesi in, yeah. in years, I don't but even that's know great. what
1: Parcheesi is, but I feel like that's a I I think it's a card game, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs>
0: I think there's like pieces on a board and I don't know. It's been years since I played as well, but, but yeah, that's such a valid point though, is that really, it would be nice if we could just like cut and dry, uh, you know, have an answer for that, but it's, it's about the choices that we make. Right. You mentioned that you um, are working in these places also. And so how do you work remotely? Um, Because obviously, you know, It certainly is more possible. And we've we've really found that out because of um, this pandemic that we're slowly coming out of uh, how much easier it is to work remotely. So how do you work remotely? And what are some things that you can share with us on that?
1: So to transition from travel budgeting to uh, working remotely online, one of the things that I discovered fairly shortly into my travels uh, was that I I was, when I had this moment where I realized the cost of full-time travel was actually less than I ever spent to live in one place, I was so excited about it. That I decided to publish it, uh, and I, I had a, a, a travel blog at the time. Uh, I do, I still do. It's called TheProfessionalHobo.com, and uh, but of course, back in the pioneer days of 2006 and seven, the travel blogs were really just online journals, and that's pretty much all mine was as well. But I wanted to prove to the world that full time travel is not super expensive, and that in fact it can be financially sustainable. So, and in so doing, I actually ended up coining this term, financially sustainable travel, and it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with with environmental sustainability and it has nothing to do with budget travel uh, as you one might suspect but instead there are three pillars that go into financially sustainable travel one is earning money remotely. So in order to have a full-time travel lifestyle, you have to be bringing money in. it doesn't have to be remote. If you've got investments that are, are kicking out of passive income, that works as well. But for most people, uh, like you say, because of the pandemic, uh, remote work is the new black. And now there are millions upon millions of people who have remote jobs, some of whom want to take those jobs on the road. So pillar number one, earning money remotely. Pillar number two to financially sustainable travel is making creative, conscious, spending choices of how you choose to spend that money, which of course goes back to what we were talking about in terms of the budget. And pillar number three is balancing those two so you can travel for as long as you want. So once you have now the money in and the money out and balancing those two, and I actually, for my first 10 years on the road, published my income all in and my expenses all in like travel, business, life, all the things. So I could prove to the world as well as myself that Travel is financially sustainable. And throughout all of those 10 years, I managed to spend less than I earned in all of those years. So how do you work remotely while traveling? There are a lot of different things that that you would be, you know, well, there are a lot of things that you might want to consider when it Mm -hmm. comes to. Uh, designing this lifestyle for yourself. And again, it's going to be different for everybody. If I had to just choose one piece of advice uh, that will not only save you money, but save you uh, a lot of stress and grief and potentially a catastrophic episode of burnout, that piece of advice is travel slowly, go Mm -hmm. slow, go way slower than you ever think you need to go. Because You're working. You're working full time. When you are at home in your current life and lifestyle, how often do you go out and do things? Do something that might be the equivalent of doing a touristy activity at your destination. If you're lucky, maybe, I don't know, once or twice a week, like on the weekends or something, you'll get out and you'll do something. But the rest of the week, when you're not working, you're tending to the daily tasks of life. You're shopping, you're cooking, you're doing your laundry, you're chilling and I'm watching some Netflix. We all need that regardless of where you are in the world, right? Yeah. So, Now, if you think about life and lifestyles on the road, you need exponentially longer at your destination to get any sense of where you are than you would if you were simply passing through on a vacation. So I generally say, plan to stay one to three months per destination. Mm -hmm. And that will give you the time and space to be able to Make friends and go out and do things and discover stuff and also the joy of learning to live somewhere. I mean, for me, I'm such a nerd. One of my favorite things to do is to go to grocery stores. I love supermarkets. Like that is there is a window into local culture that exists in Mm. supermarkets in in a way that you can't you can't do anywhere else. So learning how to buy things, learning you know what people cook and how again that that goes back to my you know how do the adults play thing, but also too that also is such a rewarding experience of learning to live in a destination. So I like to say that I've lived around the world rather than merely traveled through it.
0: Excellent point. Excellent point. And you know, it kind of makes me think of when we take trips so often, we're like, let's cram in every single site we can see, (laughs) you know, monument, whatever, as fast as possible. And that's not really the plan here. The plan here is let's take our time and really just get out and see a few things here and there once in a while. We're not trying to cram it all in in a week and that's such a great point. Um, Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, listen, if you do your vacation right, you need a vacation to recover from it. If you do travel as a lifestyle right, you never need a vacation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you could go back for a second and share a little bit, because you mentioned a couple of different types of accommodations that you stayed in over the years, and you mentioned mansion and yacht. Okay, so... (laughs) how do you find these accommodations? And, you know, is there any kind of tips that you can share about where to find these kinds of of, of
1: deals? Sure, absolutely. Uh, So there are five forms of free accommodation that you can get. Uh, And the five forms, I'll just breeze right through them. They're volunteering, uh, house sitting, hospitality exchanges, home exchanges, and living on boats. So I did write a book called How to Get Free Accommodation Around the World. And it goes into all five of these forms of free accommodation, which cumulatively saved me over $100,000 in my first 10 years abroad. Uh, and But when it comes to working remotely while traveling, I would say that the best form of free accommodation uh, for this lifestyle is house sitting. Mm-hmm. You get the comforts of home. It's just somebody else's home. Uh, and if you like fur baby love then you there's usually a, an animal involved as well that you get to take care of uh in many cases house sitting gigs are things that will last weeks or sometimes even months so again it, it plays into that ability to go somewhere learn to live there and to spend a fair bit of time there as well as the the real joy of living locally and in, in a local area and neighborhood versus you know where you might find most hotels which are you know the best of cases pretty antiseptic in in uh, in their vibes. And, and like I said, yeah, I mean, I stayed in the most amazing places. I mean, I, gorgeous. I, I had a, a, I spent a summer in Switzerland. I was taking care of a three-story house in Zurich and their Alpine cottage in the mountains. And I had the car and all I had, to, I could be wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted. All I had to do was answer the mail and keep the orchids alive. Like that was the best game for sure. Wow. Uh, but I also had, I mean, I have sat in probably about 16 different countries. Uh, And each of them were were amazing and unique experiences. And also I was staying in places that I mean, not only were they never for rent, so I wouldn't have had the opportunity to stay there, but they were also either in countries or in physical residences that would have been well beyond anything that I could have afforded. So it, it gave me a slice of life. Uh, and an ability to experience uh, a whole different way of traveling and living around the world that was super rewarding. Uh, and of course, yeah. the other advantage of house-sitting is you're staying in someone's home, which means they probably have things like an ergonomically friendly workspace set up, which again, you're not gonna find that in every Airbnb. I have worked from some of the most horrendous uh, <laughs> forms of accommodation that I've paid extraordinarily for versus having super comfy places to stay through things like house-sitting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Uh, So I wanted to ask you, this is sort of was an interesting thing thinking about when you're traveling for this long, what do you do with your mail? Like, how do you get your own mail? Where's that going? I mean, it can't be on hold forever. And I know that a lot of things now we can just request paperless, but in other cases we can't. And so how do you get your mail?
1: It's such a great question, and it's one of many questions that I get. Uh, In fact, I I now basically what I do is I help people design their lifestyles and arrange their affairs so they can travel long term while working remotely. And that is one of the mail is one of the first questions that people I work with ask me. So uh, you're definitely planning the lifestyle in the right way. You're thinking of all the right things, Desiree. So good for you. (laughs) You're almost there. You're on the road. I can feel it. Um, So the, and the mail thing, there's a few different ways you can do it. When I started again in back in the pioneer days, there was no infrastructure or uh, systems or processes for people like me. So I had to just bootleg it the whole way. Uh, So what I did was the first thing I did, and I recommend anybody do this is dramatically reduce the amount of mail you get. These days, you really don't need to get a lot of mail. You can go paperless on almost all of your statements and policies. Uh, And so, you know, like no financial institution and not even any government institution necessarily needs to send you any physical mail. However, that said, you can't do away with the mailbox entirely. So what I initially did was I actually just made uh, a family member. My main address and my residence address. So if any mail came in for me, they immediately got it and then they could send me an email. uh, And if I needed to know what was inside it, they would open up the, the package or open up the letter and they would just take a picture of the contents and they would send it to me. So that if if you're going away for a fairly short period of time, and or you have someone who would be able to do that, it's as simple as that. Uh, however, if you are going away for a longer period of time, or you don't have someone who can do that sort of thing for you, or you have more mail than you would feel comfortable leaving in someone's hands, there are now solutions in the form of virtual mailboxes. And there are companies around the world now uh, that do exactly this. Uh, it is, it's, Technically, it's a PO box, but the address itself is not a PO box uh, because, of course, that's not always allowed for certain government uh, pieces of mail and whatnot. So it's a physical address, and it, it goes to this company, and they have addresses depending on the virtual mailing service that you're using. There are addresses all over the country and the world that you can choose from. Uh, you make that address your residence, and they will get all your mail. And then when your mail comes in, they will send you a message, uh, and usually they'll or and or they'll show you uh, the front of the. And then you have three choices from there. You can say, throw it away. I don't need it. Uh, You can say, forward it to me. I'll pay for you to do that. Or you can say, open it up and send me the contents uh, via uh, scanner. So, and really most things you can deal, if you need it opened at all, you can have it scanned and sent to you and you can definitely deal with it remotely. So it's a lot easier now to deal with these sort of things than it ever was in the past. Uh, So, you know, we really have no excuse not to be able to go fully remote these days.
0: You know, and it just um, occurred to me that I remember my sister, this is my older sister was traveling in Europe and going to an American Express office to get mail. So like, I vaguely remember you could have mail sent to American Express office in Europe and then you can go get it. Yeah. And so I guess like the virtual um, mailboxes, like you're talking about now is is sort of the equivalent of that, but um, maybe just not where you're located necessarily. Um, But i love that idea that, you know, you've got those choices, then what you want them to do with it. And um, then it's handled, right? Because not everybody has family that they necessarily have that can have mail sent to. So, you know, this gives you that other option. And then that brings up another question is, what about your phone, like your cell phone? I The plans for traveling outside of the country can get pretty pricey if you're you know, trying to add on charges every single day. That's just not going to work for extended travel.
1: And you've just nailed the second most common question I get, which is, <laughs> how do I, what do I do for phone connectivity? Uh, so there are a few things. Uh, I will certainly a lot of traditional, a lot of phone plans do have, like you say, this add on, you know, like for $10 a day, you've got your international data roaming, but of course at 10 bucks a day, that's $300 a month. In addition to what you're already paying for your phone plan, that is way too much money. I mean, that's ridiculous. So if you're going away for a week, then sure, that's that's an option. But if you're if you're planning travel as a lifestyle, a traditional phone plan is is, is not really going to cut it. Now there are a couple of exceptions to this rule. In the United States, there are a couple of phone plans that are a little friendlier towards people who uh, want to travel. T Mobile, of course, is one of the the plans uh, that has a fairly friendly, somewhat cost-effective international phone plan option uh, that will give you the ability to um, make and receive calls to and from the states and also text messages, regardless of where you are. However, there are other options that will cost you significantly less and give you all the functionality that you need. So a lot of people are nervous about letting go of their their home phone number. I'm going to say US phone number because I'm going to assume that most of your listeners are uh, American. So and you know if you want to log into your bank, you need to have a US phone number and and sometimes they're going to send you a, an a authentication text message. So wherever you go in the world that phone number needs to work. However, you don't have to have a traditional phone plan in order to make it work. So there's a few different options that you have, one of which is to get an online phone number. Uh, Skype is a dinosaur these days, but they do have the ability. You can rent an online phone number through Skype. There's also apps uh, like Hushed uh, and other services that will give you a phone number. You can port your existing phone number over for a one-time fee, and then you will have this phone number that will be cheap or even free that works over Wi-Fi and data. So it doesn't use, it's not a traditional cell phone plan that relies on the cellular waves and consequently will subject you to roaming when you're not in the country. So that's the first thing that will help keep you from getting those fees. Then all you need is a data connection or Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi is ubiquitous, so we don't need to worry about that, but data Uh, is what you would need to worry about. You can get a global data e-SIM card, and that will give you data around the world uh, very inexpensively. As a Canadian, this is what I do and I've done since 2017. Uh, In Canada, we are blessed because we actually have an app called Fongo, which is 100% free, gives you a a free Canadian phone number. I can make and receive calls to and from Canada for free, uh, which, you know, with any of these services, with that number, it's so great because, you know, your kid's could call you, could be in Timbuktu, and your kids in the States can call you. And for them, it's a local call because they're calling a US phone number. And for you, as long as you've got Wi Fi or a data connection, you pick it up for free. There's no roaming, you don't have to worry about it. So, my total telecommunications costs so this is global data, phone numbers, the whole deal is about $200 a year. A year. And I don't, a year. Yeah. And I'm not sacrificing anything. Occasionally, one of those uh, the one of the short code authentication texts don't come through gracefully, but you can always there's always another option. You can tell them to phone you instead, and you can get the code via phone or whatever. Like I said, this has been I have not had a traditional phone number since 2017, so it, it can be done. It doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. And if you have an unlocked phone, you also have the ability to purchase local SIM cards, which will give you a local phone number at your destination, which is handy if you want to be able to stay in touch with people at your destination uh, and often very inexpensive uh, data plans as well. So there are lots of options, but I encourage people to... uh, cut the umbilical cord between them and their traditional phone plan uh you the sky's is not going to fall it's going to be okay <laughs> and you're going to save a ton of money
0: oh my gosh that's a fantastic tip thank you so much for sharing that and um so tell us again i think you said something hutch what was one of the names um hushed H U S
1: H E D. So it was
0: a few years ago when I when I
1: initially contacted them uh, because I, I wrote an article on my website about uh, you know how to stay connected uh, with various options depending on the kind of phone you have and the kind of plan you have and the kind of things you're planning on doing. But Hushed is one of those those services where you can you can technically it was initially designed as one of these uh things that gave you like throwaway phone numbers like if you wanted to like for dating apps and stuff and you didn't want to actually give out your real phone number uh and then they quickly realized that there was a whole other audience uh and and market for them in people who wanted to have actually more permanent phone numbers either their home phone number from their home country or also to be able to have a phone number at their destination so it's very cheap i think maybe five bucks a month uh you can get a phone number in hundreds of different countries.
0: Oh, wow. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, my tendency when I travel anywhere is to completely overpack because I think about, (laughs) okay, maybe today I want to wear this. And then, I mean, I don't want to wear that today. And then I have to have some other option. And my husband will tell you that I'm notorious for overpacking. (laughs) And so for something like this, where you're going to be traveling on an extended basis, how do you pack? I mean, how are you planning for different different weather scenarios when you don't have access to your whole wardrobe.
1: It's so funny, I've recently breathed new life into my uh, YouTube channel, uh, and I do weekly videos that talk about a lot of these different concepts and whatnot, and packing is one of the hottest topics out there, and uh, so even just now, just before we got hopped on this phone call, I was actually recording another video about packing, and I was comparing packing cubes with rolling your clothes, which is better. Uh, So there is an art and science to packing, uh, for sure. Everything from how you actually fit everything into your bag to what kind of organizational tools you use to the things you actually choose to pack and take with you. Uh, However, fairly early into my travel career, I coined a phrase uh, that I encourage everybody to (laughs) write down and put on your wall as you're developing your packing list. And the phrase is, the weight of your luggage is equally proportionate to the level of misery you will experience on the road. (laughs) So (laughs) the, the heavier your shit is excuse my language the the more miserable you'll be and trust yes. I this I, I learned this from experience when I hit the road I hit the road with way too much stuff and I just systematically started getting rid of and getting rid of and getting rid of and getting rid of more stuff until eventually I actually traveled for two full years with carry-on luggage only I, I managed to whittle down the contents of my life and everything that I owned to a carry-on size bag now when I travel, I usually travel with carry-on luggage, uh, so I do have a home base now. I'm currently on a five-month trip with carry-on luggage only, so I definitely have learned the art of minimalism, and there there are unfortunately way more things to discuss than we could possibly get into in this chat for me to get you to carry on, Uh, but one piece of advice I could give you specifically is make sure everything matches. If Mm -hmm. you are choosing like maybe three colors, all of which are complementary, then you will have Have way more outfit possibilities than if you pack these little outlier items of clothing. So the more multifunctional yeah. everything is that goes into your bag, the more everything matches, the more possibilities you have and the less bored you'll be with the, oh, I don't want to wear this dress, but I wish I had that one.
0: So there's yeah. definitely possibilities. Excellent point. Choosing those colors that go well together and that aren't like, you know, hot pink or, you know, chartreuse or something like that. That's not going to go with <laughs> anything else. So valid point there. And I wanted to ask you, I'm gonna your gears a little bit here. Are there different credit cards that you use for travel that give you better travel rewards than others? And what would you suggest there?
1: I am a huge fan of frequent flyer mile travel hacking, which uh, is the art of basically using frequent flyer miles to travel uh, long haul in business class for less than the price of economy tickets. And that is my MO. That's how I roll. Uh, I actually, in a few weeks, I'm going to be taking my first overseas flight in economy. I'm, I'm very unhappy about it, but i it was a last minute trip and there was no award availability. So you know what? All right. I'm going to have to suck it up. Uh, but it's a short flight, relatively speaking. So, uh, But once you get a taste of business class, it is real hard to go back. So uh, credit cards are instrumental in this. Process for a few different reasons. Uh, one of which is, of course, credit cards, frequent flyer mile and air miles credit cards often have elevated sign up bonuses. Mm-hmm. That once you sign up for the credit card and you meet whatever spending thresholds they have initially, you will get a whack of miles that, in many cases, will be enough for a long haul business flight ticket. So, um, Applying for cards strategically, especially if you anticipate having some major expenses, uh, is always a good idea. So I always, if I know that I have some big expense coming up, I'm I'm going to apply for a card that will help me get a sign-up bonus with that. Uh, And then also charging every single dollar to a card that earns miles as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in some cases, you earn miles, accelerated miles, you know, two times the miles for you know grocery store purchases or gas or or whatnot. Uh, So knowing which cards to charge your expenses to and knowing which expenses to charge to which cards uh, and keeping track of it all. It definitely is a lot of work, uh, not only the accumulation, but then the management and redemption of miles. But again, when you have this ability to travel long haul in business class, uh, it's worth a little bit of effort as far as I'm concerned. Uh, And especially if you consider the cash value of a ticket like that versus the amount of time and effort uh, that goes into planning for this, for me, it's well worth it. I would also, so one other credit card tip that I'd really like to uh, emphasize is not a lot of people know about this invisible expense that you pay every time you charge something with a foreign currency to your credit card, but it's called a foreign transaction fee or foreign yeah. currency fees. And it basically, the credit card will mark up the existing currency conversion rate by about 3% and they pocket the difference. And it's totally invisible to you. You don't know you're paying it. I didn't know I was paying it for like years, well over a decade before I understood that this was a thing. And that it can be combated by getting a card with no foreign transaction fees, Uh, It's also expressed as no FX fees. So that means the credit card is going to perform the currency conversion at the market rate, and they're not going to pocket any any surplus in there. And that will effectively save you 3% on almost everything that you
0: spend. Wow. Didn't know that. So fantastic! Thank you for sharing that. But it's true, right? I mean, they those fees—they're there, and we don't necessarily see them because we're, you know, it's not printed on the thing, or we're not looking at our statements close enough, and we just don't know. So that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. You mentioned a couple of times you've written some books, and I know also that you do speaking engagements. And so, tell us a little bit about that. Like, is public speaking easy for you? And and what about writing? I mean, was that your your career and original? was in financial planning and that sort of thing. So it doesn't sound like writing was necessarily you know, your first thing. So was that something that came easy for you?
1: Both writing and speaking, lucky for me, do come easy for me uh, in that I was, I actually also used to be, I've lived a few lives, uh, one of which was I was a professional actor, singer, dancer. So the concept of being in front of people uh, and uh, being able to perform in any way, shape or form, uh, not only is something that comes relatively naturally to me but I love doing it. So speaking when I get the opportunity to speak I'm all over it. But the writing is also something that I've done all of my life. Even as a child I had a I had a writing coach and I wrote mm-hmm. really really bad fiction as a child and uh so I, and as a financial planner I I found that I would exercise this like when I would write financial plans for my clients but I would like include these long missives to my clients you know, like I would write it all in first person and I tell them about their situation. And I, I, and I only realized in retrospect, this was me expressing myself creatively as creatively as a financial planner can through, uh, you know, communicating uh, that way through the written word. So when I decided to travel full time, uh, I, I definitely started a blog really just as a as a way to chronicle my travels and for anyone, you know, friends and family to be able to check in and see what I was doing. It was an alternative to the what people generally did at the time is they would send an email out to all of their contacts, you know, long emails. And I was like, I don't want to mess up people's inboxes this way. I'll just put it all online on a blog and anyone can check it. As they want, uh, so that was the beginnings of my blog, which at the time was not an industry or anything that could be remotely monetizable. But I did somewhere in there also end up making that connection. That hold on, wait a minute, with a laptop and an internet connection, I could make a living as a freelance writer from anywhere in the world. So that light bulb, because let's also let's get it right, remote work was not a word. Location independent was not even an idea back in 2006 and 2. when I got started. So I had these ambitions to, all right, I'm going to become a freelance writer. And uh, because I had this income from the sale of my business for the first couple of years, I knew that I also had a runway to be able to build my freelance writing career and my bylines, because it is something that takes a lot of time uh, in order to actually start making a proper living. Uh, But I also quickly found that I was able to cross-pollinate my forms of expertise Financial publications would hire me to write about travel and travel publications would hire me to write about finance. And somewhere in there, I found myself in the middle developing this niche, which is what my site would eventually be about, which is about the finance of travel and how to travel full-time in a financially sustainable way. Uh, And I can definitely say that the finance publications paid and continue to pay way better than the travel publications ever did. So if anyone listening to this has ambitions of being a travel writer, I highly recommend And you find something else that you can cross-pollinate with travel uh, in order to uh, get some better, higher paying gigs, lower competition, uh, and potentially even develop a whole brand as I did uh, around travel as a lifestyle and around whatever it is that you write about.
0: Awesome. I love it. All right, so at the beginning of the show, I hinted a little bit at your comment about the train. And so now if you wouldn't mind sharing with us about an epic train ride that you took, And tell us about that story, if you wouldn't mind. Well, you know, it's funny. You're using the singular as an epic ride. In fact, actually,
1: I've done many epic rides. So how about I just give you a quick rundown of three potential epic rides, and you can ask which one, uh, you can let me know which one you you want me to expand upon. There's Australia. At, among other things, among other trips in Australia, I did 11,000 kilometers in 11 days, all to see if it's possible to get bored on the train. Uh, and then I also did the world's longest overland route by train from Lisbon to Saigon, which is 25,000 kilometers. And I did that in 30 days straight all by train. Uh, and even more recently, I circumnavigated the United States by train uh, with a relative stranger, no less, because, you know, why not? Uh, and then in the, in the, Months after that, I actually finished, or in the year after that, I actually finished off pretty much every other long-distance train route that the United States has to offer. Oh my (laughs) goodness! In this game of choose your own adventure, which one do you want to talk
0: about? I was thinking of the one that from Lisbon to Saigon. That's the one that I recall from when we met. I I guess I forgot about Australia and the United States trips as well um, because it just seemed (laughs) like oh, this was the longest one. So you know it. my mind, it seemed like the longest one that was the most epic. So tell us about that. How did that come about?
1: It definitely was epic. Uh, And it was, it came about actually some colleagues of mine who were also travel writers uh, were in the process of developing this, this thing called the ultimate train challenge. And uh, it was basically what we did. There were three of us that did it together in the end. Uh, And it was basically a pilot project or a test idea for what might be uh, or what potentially was uh, down the road going to be like um, something open and available to the public like an amazing race style adventure for other people to do as well so we uh, we three were starting off this idea and seeing if this was something that that would be eventually viable uh, as a as a product to bring to the market uh, that would be an adventure that other people could replicate, and uh, and and what it was, we all met in Lisbon uh, one day in September, and uh, then we all went our separate ways throughout Europe, and we had 17 days to get from Lisbon to Moscow, and we all took different ways. We all it all had to be by train. You you could only travel by train. And we all took these different meandering routes through Europe uh, from Lisbon to Moscow. And that was actually probably the most relaxed part of the trip in that there were lots of opportunities to spend nights in destinations. So I spent a few nights in the south of Spain. I spent a few nights in Switzerland, some in Prague, some, you know, so I was definitely able to have some interesting European adventures along the way. And one of the things that we did just to keep it interesting is like we would have like scavengers. Scavenger hunts, But the scavenger hunt wouldn't be for hidden items. It would be for experiences like get a picture of you in the engine car of a train. You know, like how difficult is that? It's not easy. I can tell you that much, but I did manage that one. Uh, or, you know, get a picture of you having dinner with locals or, you know, things like that. So we definitely spiced it up with that. And then we all reconvened in in Moscow 17 days later, and we all took the Trans-Siberian together from Moscow to Beijing. It was 153 hours, one full week on a train. We didn't get off, or rather, we did get off at station stops long enough for us to get off and stretch our legs, but we didn't actually get off and spend any substantial time off the train. So it was the world's longest train ride, followed immediately by the world's fastest train from Beijing to Saigon which was fantastic it was more like a plane than a train wow. and then a series of amazing and strange and wacky trains through the rest of China and then down through the whole of Vietnam to the bottom of Vietnam where Ho Chi Minh City is and where we arrived 30 days later it was wow. an unbelievable experience it was I, I it was fun for what it did i remember somebody recently said why would you do that? (laughs) Like, why didn't you stop along the way? There was all kinds of things you could have seen and done. But for us, of course, the challenge was doing it in 30 days because this was this pilot project for this possible uh, mission that might ultimately never came to be um, for other people. But we wanted to see if it was possible. We wanted to do it in 30 days. Uh, And we did have enough time to explore certain places and to make notes of other places that we wanted to go back to. So for me, if you haven't already begun, to tell I do love train travel. And the reason I love it is because it's not about where the train goes and getting off the train at that destination. For me, the destination is the train. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I did write a book out of this experience and a few of the other ones, the ones that I did in Australia as well. And the book is called Tales of Trains, Where the Journey is the Destination. Because train travel is fascinating. In certain parts of the world, you you don't take the train because it's super cheap or super fast. Like if you really want cheaper, you're going to take a bus. If you want fast, you're going to take a a plane. So the train is this weird middle ground that anyone who takes the train has an interesting story and you have the time to meet those people and learn those stories when you're taking the train. And that's what the book is all about.
0: Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. So fantastic. And and the idea of traveling by train to me it just seems like super exciting and like a little bit exotic and like super cool. I just love it. So I, I'm gonna share with the listeners the books that you've written and especially that, that I'm picking that one up immediately because I wanna hear all about the train travel. I love it. And so just to wrap up, because I mean, we could just talk for hours really. I so love hearing your stories and you've got so much great knowledge, but to wrap it up, what other books or podcasts are you listening to or books that you've read that you think would be great for the listeners to pick up or check out at the library?
1: I'm always reading. A good book or three, uh, and I will say that one of my favorite travel authors uh, is, and and some people might be descri- uh, might be surprised uh, that this man is an author first and foremost, uh, is a writer first and foremost, Anthony Bourdain. He wrote some amazing books about travel, and he's so insightful and funny and all the things, Uh, but the first book of his that I read that still to this day is one of my favorite books is called uh, A Cook's Tour in Search of the Perfect Mm -hmm. Meal, and it was actually about his, uh, I guess it was perhaps when he was filming No Reservations, Mm -hmm. uh, which was his first television series, or one of his first. TV series. So for me, because I used to be in television, uh, I, I I love this kind of behind-the-scenes aspect of what it was like to film a TV show, a travel TV show no less, uh, but then also his his cultural and culinary observations, absolutely brilliant. Uh, he was so funny. I regularly laughed out loud in public, uh, which is always a good sign uh, for me <laughs> when I'm reading a book. Uh, so that's an excellent book. Uh, the For anyone who's interested in long-term travel, uh, of course, Rolf Pod- is is wrote a book called Vagabonding uh, quite a few years ago and it's still a classic uh, and it is an inspiration for many you know a, a, anyone who looks at, at working remotely uh, and wants to uh, maximize that of course the tim ferris 4 hour work week is always a good bet uh and there's some more obscure books out there there's a uh, there's an author Jay Martin Troost. he wrote a lot of really very 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 quirky travel memoirs that I quite enjoyed as well again very funny as well as culturally insightful uh, so one of them is uh, called Sex Lives with Cannibals. So uh, about his time living in Micronesia. So again, I I like quirky, uh, so those are definitely some quirky suggestions for you. Uh in terms of podcasts, oh, I got a long list of podcasts that I'm <laughs> always listening to from business podcasts to to yours, of course, which I've been enjoying listening to. Thank you. Uh to as well from a travel perspective. Uh, there are lots of good ones out there to find. Rolf Potts has a, a lovely one as well. Uh if you like working abroad there's uh, about abroad and there's I you know and there's so many I don't even know where to begin Uh, but those are a few to uh, to look at
0: yeah and we'll we'll jot some down and we'll share those in um, the show notes so that uh, others can check them out and so speaking of that if there's uh, questions that maybe somebody has that they want to just shoot out to you how would they do that what's the best way to reach you
1: so my online home is theprofessionalhobo.com and you will find a contact page there that has my email address. I'd also like to offer a, a special gift, free gift to the listeners of this show. All you have to do is go to theprofessionalhobo.com forward slash free gift. And there you will find a checklist of 10 things to do before you travel long-term. And these are cover off some of the things that we've already talked about, like virtual mail and cell phone plans, uh, as well as a whole host of other things that you need to consider before you hit the road. It will help you cover all of your bases so you can travel effectively, smart and stress-free. So please do go and download that. And then through that, you get in touch with me
0: as well. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much, Nora. Thank you for that free gift. Thank you for your time for coming on the show today. I so appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. It's fantastic information and you're such a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Desiree. It was a pleasure to meet you and I hope I get to meet you in some random exotic location again soon. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Well, thanks again and we'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Pockets of Knowledge podcast. Be sure to join us again next week for more great information designed to educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve your goals. And thanks again for listening.